All right, well, we're going to uh, just jump right into the message this morning, and uh, we're going to talk this morning on, on how God works in our, our messiness. And uh, sometimes it's tempting to think, uh, because we all know we have inadequacies, we all know that we have certain faults about our life, or, you know, certain screw-ups, or uh, we know that we can look out there and find people that are uh, totally better than us at different things, and sometimes we can look at ourselves and think, well... You know, how could God use me? I'm not as good as those folks. I'm not together as those other folks, and I keep messing up in this area. How in the world could God use me? Well, uh, the testimony that God wants us to hear this morning is that, that God uses messy people, just like me, just like you, and just like folks found in, in the scriptures. There is, uh, I'm not sure maybe you've been to this building. I haven't, but this is a, the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. And, uh, of course, all the sports have these halls of fame, which you can go in and see all the, the most amazing athletes or the most amazing musicians, if it's a musical hall of fame, uh, that have ever existed. And you might walk into these things and, and, and you realize that there's no way you could ever be like these folks. There's no way you could ever maybe play like this person in the music hall of fame or ever play hockey like the, the, the fellow Wayne Gretzky or whoever's in the, the hockey hall of fame. You know, I just can't do it like that, so I might as well not even try. And sometimes people will go to Hebrews 11 and will kind of bridge off the idea of the, we have this hockey hall of fame and the football hall of fame, and then there's this hall of fame we have in Hebrews chapter 11, which is really a list of all these, these characters who have done some amazing things in scripture. And, and there's kind of a, a list in Hebrews 11 of all these names. And then after these names, there's a little blurb about what they did. And then at the bottom, there's kind of these honorable mentions and honorable mentions in the fact that, uh, I mean, their names are there, but it doesn't really say what they did. There's just kind of this list at the bottom of names. And, and we have this, and sometimes people call this the Hall of Faith, kind of bridging out the idea of a Hall of Fame. But uh, the reality is I don't think this should be called a Hall of Fame or even the Hall of Faith, but, but perhaps the, the Hall of Messy People That God Used. Because the point of this is not to read through Hebrews 11 and go, wow, these people are like the Wayne Gretzkys or, you know, whoever is current these days, not him, I don't think, but I'm not, I don't know my hockey that well. Um, but it's not to look at these folks and like, these people are so amazing, I could just never be like that. Or, you know, God did miracles through these people, but God could never do a miracle through me because, you know, I'm a screw up and I mess up and I keep falling in this area and I keep trying and I keep, I keep... Everything is just messed up in my life. How, how could God use me? But the interesting thing about the scriptures, and this is why I'm really, really glad I'm not in the scriptures, because the scriptures are actually quite vulnerable about people's mistakes. Uh, the scriptures don't hide uh, the mess-ups of folks in the Bible, and it certainly doesn't hide the mess-ups of all of these folks. And one thing that we see if you start going through these, this list, and we're going to look at some of the names today, is that God uses messy people. And it doesn't matter how messy your life is or how broken your life or screwed up your life is, God still wants to use you and God still works in you. And God will still uh, do crazy things in your life in, in a good way. And so it says in James chapter 3 verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways. And this is true of us all. And this is true of the most amazing Bible heroes. We all stumble in many ways. And so it's important that we challenge this thinking that we so quickly can fall into, thinking that, well, I'm not good enough, so God can't through me. 
or I keep messing up in this area, so God, he's definitely not going to use me in any big way, or God can't even work in my life because I just keep screwing my life up. I mean, that's not what we see. In Hebrews chapter 11, we learn that people can be very, very messy, and yet God can still do amazing things in their lives. And Hebrews chapter 11 is to be, I think, in some ways to be an encouragement for us because not like that we like to talk about people's mistakes, but it's kind of fun talking about the mistakes of folks in the Bible because it, it reminds us that they're human like us. They live messy lives and we can live messy lives and, and God can use us. And so the first fellow who's kind of a main character in that list is Noah. Of course, we know Noah, Noah is He's one of the big famous Bible characters. He's the one who built the ark and, you know, he's all the little kids stories we have about him. But when we ever tell the kids the story about Noah's ark, we kind of don't talk about the dark side of that story because there's a big dark side of that story. We, we, uh, but, but Noah's kind of a famous Bible character. And we might think, well, you know, the reason God chose him is that because he was so righteous and he had everything together and he lived this perfect life. But again, I'm glad I'm not a Bible character because the Bible tells people's mistakes. And, and in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, it tells about one of the mistakes of Noah. It says, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and, and he plants this, this vineyard. And then it says, one day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. And so obviously this is probably a few years after the flood because it takes a while to grow uh, these great plants, but he grows grapes and he makes a bunch of wine. He drinks the wine. He gets smashed so much so that he wanders around naked and ends up naked in his tent with the doors and windows open so everybody can see. So he's lying there naked in the tent. And uh, the story goes on to say how one of his sons, Ham, comes along. He sees Noah, you know, spread eagle in his tent naked because he drank too much. And, uh, and, and I think Ham thinks it's hilarious. I'm kind of reading the story a little bit here. Uh, but I think he thinks it's hilarious. He's like, ha ha, look at, look at dad. <laughs> he got drunk and he's naked in his tent. And so he runs and tells his two brothers, dad's naked and he's in the tent. Uh, come and see. But his two brothers, I think, had a little better head on them because I think they were like, you know, you know, dad can have a dad, uncle Noah, or dad Noah, he can have a temper sometimes. We better not, better not make fun of him. And so they take this cloak and they walk backwards and they, they throw it over over naked Noah in the tent without looking. Well, then Noah wakes up, and uh, Noah doesn't laugh it off. I mean, he's a guy who thinks he takes himself way too seriously because he doesn't think it's funny. In fact, he's, he's, he's ticked. <laughs> he didn't wake up and go, ha ha, that was really funny. I drank too much and was naked in my tent. That's, <laughs> I think we all need to learn to take ourselves less serious. But, but Noah, he, he's serious about himself. I mean, uh, it says that when Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. That is, he went and told his brothers and kind of exposed his, his sin. And uh, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. It says, then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest servant of his relatives. And so uh, Grandpa Noah curses his grandson. Uh, he curses Canaan, which was Ham's son. And that is not a good example of how to be a grandpa, by the way. Uh, it's not a good example to go around cursing your grandkids. It's not a good example, you know, if, if you end up naked lying in a tent to get angry and to curse somebody. That's just not, it's not a Jesus thing to do. I mean, Noah really screws up here, and, and he's not the grandpa of the year. But this is the same Noah whom God used to, to build the ark and rescue the animals. I mean, he, he's a major, major Bible character, but he really messes up because God uses messy people. 
The next guy we read in the list is Abraham. And uh, Abraham actually receives probably one of the, the most amazing promises out of anybody in the whole scriptures. I mean, in Genesis chapter 12, imagine if God showed up and said this to you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, imagine receiving a promise like that, where God looks at you and says, every single person on this planet is going to be blessed by you. <laughs> I mean, that's an incredible promise, probably one of the, the most amazing promises ever given in the Bible. I mean, imagine if God showed up to you tonight and and says, hey, I'm going to bless every single person on the planet through you. I'm going to give you the, the antidote to COVID-19. I'm going to, it's going to be very simple. It's going to be 100% safe. And it's going to be super cheap that everybody in the world can have. It's just made out of household goods. And it's going to totally keep people from getting COVID-19. You are going to bless the whole world, rich and poor. I mean, imagine if, if God showed up and did that to you. I mean, I mean to bless the whole nation, that, that's quite a promise. And this is what God does to Abraham. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. Now, the funny thing is, literally just a few verses later, major blunder by Abraham. This is, this is not, God didn't choose Abraham and give him one of the most amazing promises because he was perfect or because he had everything together or because he never made mistakes or he was just some, you know, super holy monk kind of a character who, who never messed up and never had a bad thought. No, actually a very, just a few verses later, it says... Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt. And, and the story goes that he goes down to Egypt. And before he gets into Egypt, he's just talking to his wife and, and saying, you know, Sarah, that's his wife, he's like, you are incredibly hot. I mean, you're the most gorgeous woman, I think, in the whole world. You are so hot. And when we end up in Egypt, you know, guys are going to be looking at you. And, and the Pharaoh might even look at you, and uh, he might want you because you are just, you're just drop-dead gorgeous. So he, I got a plan. Because I don't want people to say, wow, you have a gorgeous wife, and then, and then kill me. I want to make sure my, my life is okay, so how about I just say you're my sister? And then if a guy comes along, I'm just going to say you're my sister, and then that guy can take you. Is that a good plan? <laughs> Doesn't say what Sarah said, but that was Abraham's plan. So he goes down to Egypt, and, 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 and everybody thinks Sarah's hot, like she's this amazing woman. And, and news gets actually to the Pharaoh that there's this new beautiful woman in town. And, and so Pharaoh's men go, go talk to Abraham. And, and so Abraham, who's this woman? And he says, oh, she's my sister. Oh. So they go back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I want this woman because she's so beautiful. You know, is she married? No, no, she just got her, her brother here. And so Pharaoh goes and takes her. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't say that Abraham put up any kind of fight. It doesn't say Abraham said, you know, actually, this is my wife. You know, no, Abraham just literally, to protect his own life, says, actually, you're my sister. Sure, Pharaoh, you can have her. I mean, not a way to earn the husband of the year award. I mean, I mean imagine if your husband did that. I mean, like some guys came up and, like, and you just said, well, that's my sister. You can have her. It's like, that's not a good idea for a husband to do. But that's what Abraham does literally just like three or four verses after this incredible promise. And Abraham doesn't just do this once, but later in Genesis 20, he does the same thing. He goes to another place, and he's worried again about his hot wife being, being looked at by guys, and so he just, oh, you're my sister. The guys can have her. Abraham didn't live a perfect life. He's not the example of a perfect husband, and, and, and yet God uses him. God works in his life. God blesses the whole world through him because Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac and bring uh, begin the, the genealogy that leads to, to Jesus. 
Now, you might think, well, maybe Abraham was blessed because his wife just had it all together. And, and God is like, you know, Abraham, you're a screw up, but your wife is amazing. So I'm going to bless you too just because of your wife. I don't know if Sarah was all that better. I mean, she had her own issues too. She was messy. We're all messy. But this didn't keep God from using them. I mean, we read in Genesis 16 that, that Sarah and Abraham are waiting for this promised baby. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and, and nothing's happening. So Sarah comes up with this brilliant plan, at least in her mind. She, uh, her, her plan was, she says, Abraham, I got the servant. Why don't you go sleep with my servant? And maybe you can get her pregnant. And if she has a baby, then it'll be my baby, and that'll be our baby. And then we'll help God out with, the, with this promise. And so uh, this was Sarah's idea. For Abraham to sleep with her servant. Doesn't say Sarah, Abraham even argued a bit. Just like Abraham just said, okay. Which again, not earning the husband of the year award. I mean, at least he should have said, I don't think this is a good idea. And you know, I want to sleep with you, not your servant. But Abraham's like, okay, I'll sleep with your servant. And, and he does. I don't know how many times, but eventually she gets pregnant. And, uh, and now the servant is pregnant. And all of a sudden, Sarah gets super jealous. Because now, now her servant's pregnant, but she's not. <laughs> and then it said this, Then Sarai said to Abram, same folks, they got a name change later. She says to Abraham, this is all your fault. She blames Abraham, even though it was Sarah's idea. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong. You are me. So, I mean, they get, in a, they get in a fight in their marriage. You know, you know Sarah blaming uh, or Abraham, or Sarah blaming Abraham. I, they had a messy marriage. And you might be here like, my marriage is messy. I don't know how God couldn't use me because I, I keep screwing up in my marriage and, and things are all together. I mean, God gave Abraham and Sarah one of the most amazing promises and they got, they got serious mess in their life because God uses messy people. Mess does not stop God from working in, in people's lives. And so, and then we got this list of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, we won't talk too much about them because, but all of them had mess. I mean, Isaac makes the same mistake as, 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 as his dad um, does. He, his wife is, I guess, hot as well, and they go to a place, and, and he says to his wife that his sister and his wife gets taken away, and then there's Jacob, who has a longest story, or one of the longer stories in Genesis, and, and his life is super messy. But do you know that Jacob is the guy whom God said, Jacob, I'm changing your name to Israel. <laughs> He's at the start of the, the, the Israel people. And yet this guy is like very messy. <laughs> he lives a very messy life. We could do a whole sermon on him. And then Joseph, and, I mean, he, he had a pretty good life. But, you know, when he was early, he was, he was quite proud. You know, he gets this dream and he goes in front of his brothers and says, ha ha, brothers, you're all going to bow down to me and I'm going to be king. And, you know. He should have a little bit, been a little bit more humble when he gets shipped off to Egypt. And then Moses, he only killed a guy. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, mess. He's used to deliver the people of, of, of Egypt. And then we get to Rahab. Rahab's in this list. There's a woman in this list, but not just a woman. She's a prostitute. And we first run into Rahab in Joshua 2.1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly spent, sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land. So they wanted to, 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 to leave Shittim and go somewhere else because there's one thing we know about Shittim is like a crappy place to live, right? <laughs> go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. 
So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is, this is how Rahab gets into the, the hall of fame, the hall of faith. She's a prostitute, but welcomes these spies into her home. She gets into the hall of faith while she's a prostitute. Uh, completely messy life, but, but, but God puts her in the hall of fame, in the hall of faith. And, and not only that, but we read that even though she was a prostitute, in that moment she was actually right with God. Because being right with God does not mean we have to be perfect. Romans chapter 5 says that we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done. It's our faith in Jesus that makes us righteous. It's not what we do. And James says Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions. What actions? Her actions while she was a prostitute housing these spies. I mean, very messy, but she's in the hall of faith. And she has a relationship with God even in her mess. Not only that, but Rahab is actually in the opening chapter of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, in, in the, it's talked about the very genealogy of Jesus. And we, of course, have our fellow Abraham in there who didn't get the husband of the year award, but he's in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus. But then in Matthew 5, it says that Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know the love story between Boaz and Ruth? Ruth, uh, Rahab was, was Boaz's mom, and, 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 and she becomes the great-great-grandpa to, or grandma to King David, who, who, who's the line of the Messiah. I mean, she, she, God sees her so highly. She gets in the genealogy, in the hall of fame. She lives this messy life, which, which she eventually, obviously, comes out of, but, but God uses messy people. And we, I mean, everyone in this list has mess. I mean, the next person on the list is Gideon. This will be the last folk, the person we look at here. But Gideon, in Judges 6, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And so God shows up to Gideon. The Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. And, and God says to Gideon, I'm choosing you to do a big task to rescue my people. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. God, why would you choose me? I, I'm weak, and I'm the least. I mean, like, I'm an ultra, ultra, ultra featherweight. Why don't you take some of those big heavyweight ultimate fighters to go rescue your people? Why, why choose me? I'm the, I'm the weakest, and, and, and I'm the least. The reason is God uses weak people. He uses messy people. He uses people that don't necessarily have it all together. He uses people who are, who are struggling in faith. He uses people who are maybe struggling in their marriage or in different spots. I mean, God uses messy, messy people. Now, he wants us to, to work our way out of that mess, but, but God still uses us because there's one thing that we know about God and that he's not as concerned about ability as he is about availability. This is the mistake that Gideon made. He's like, I don't have the greatest abilities. I'm weak and I'm the least in my tribe. Choose someone else. I mean, there's way better warriors than me. There's, there's people who are stronger than me. There's tribes that have, have more men, and why don't you choose them? But God is not so much about our ability as are you available? And if we're available, God, God will use us. And, and, and he often provides the, 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 the skills and what, what is necessary in, in that moment. But he uses weak people. And yet I love what uh, God says to Gideon in Judges 6. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, 
the Lord is with you. Now, the last thing that Gideon would think about himself is that he was a hero, let alone a mighty hero. The last thing that Gideon would ever think is that he would be someone who would end up like in, the, in Hebrews 11, in the, in the Hall of Faith. I am the least in the land. I am the weakest in the land. And yet God looks at him and says, mighty hero, I am with you. And this is what God does to us because, you know, often we can look at, you know, I'm so inadequate and I keep messing up and I don't have everything together and, man, I don't, I'm not gifted like that person. I don't have skills like that person. I don't have it, you know, my life isn't perfect like that person over there. Why would you use me? But God looks at us and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He looks at us like a mighty hero because there's one thing that God is about and that is he's not about us trying to reach perfection. He's about his presence. And what we often do is we focus on our perfection. God is focused on his presence. And we're like, I got to be perfect. I got to have everything together. And if I can just get everything together, then maybe God will use me for something big. If, if I can just get everything in order in my life and, and stop this silly sin that keeps creeping up, creeping up, then maybe God will actually do something in my life. And, and I got to work on perfection. And God's like, it's about presence, not perfection. Mighty hero, mighty hero, Why? Because the Lord is with you. The reason Gideon was a mighty hero wasn't because he had everything together. It had everything to do with the presence of God in his life. And it is so easy to fall into this trap of Gideon. I mean, I do all the time. I mean, it's easy to look out there in this world and see it as a hockey hall of fame and all these wonderful, beautiful people who have everything together and and they're so much better than me. And look at them and they must be used by God for so much. But look at me, I'm a screw up. But God looks at us and says, (laughs) mighty hero, the Lord is with you. It is not about perfection. It is about presence, and I am with you. And Moses understood this. In Exodus 33, he prays this prayer. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you were pleased with me and with your people unless unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I mean, Moses knew it wasn't about his performance and it wasn't about his ability. It was about the presence. God, you need to be presence because the presence is what makes the difference. The presence is what makes you a mighty hero. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power, us being a mighty hero, is from God, not from ourselves. It's about the presence. Paul just says we're just like a fragile clay pot. We all stumble in many ways. It says in James, we we mess up. But it's not about the pot. It's, It's about the presence. It's not about the pot. It's about the light inside. And yet we spend so much time focused on the pot. Not valley pot, but like our pot, right? Uh, we, we focus on like, look at me. I just can't do this. And there are people better than me. And there's more, they're more skilled. And they have everything. And, and look at that person. Why don't you call that person? We're so focused on our pot. And, and God's like, it's not about the pot. It's about the presence. It's not about perfection. It's about the presence. You are a mighty hero. Not because you got an amazing pot. Because of the presence. The Lord is with you. And the moment you begin to focus on the presence and stop focusing on perfection is the moment God 
will begin to do deeper things in your life, despite your mess. I want to use one more example because he's probably one of the, the better examples in history, and that is D.L. Moody, who's, again, one of the, the heroes of the faith, one of the, the mighty evangelists. And, and sometimes we might, we might look at this guy. It's like, I mean, he changed hundreds of thousands of lives. And, uh, and we might look like, man, he must have been so skilled. He must have had it all together. He must have had an amazing pot. I mean, it just must have been perfect. No cracks in that pot. It wasn't fragile. It wasn't, but, I mean, he was like semi, semi-literate. I mean, he could only like write a like, grade four level. In fact, one time this critic comes up to him and he says, you ought not to speak in public because you make so many mistakes in grammar. But Moody understood something. It wasn't about perfection. It's about the presence, not about the pod. It's about the presence. And he says, I know I make mistakes and I lack a great many things, but I'm doing the best I can with what I got. But look here, friend, you have grammar enough. What are you doing with it? for Jesus. <laughs> he says, I know perfectly well that wherever I go and preach, there are many better preachers than I am. All that I can say about it is that the Lord uses me. Because he knew it was, it was the presence. He was a mighty hero because of the presence, not, not because of his pot. And God is with us. God is with you. He's present. He is in us. It's the promise of God that he is with us. So the encouragement this morning is Stop focusing on the pot. Focus on the presence. Don't, don't keep, stop focusing on, I got to make everything perfect before I get in the game. God wants you in the game right now. Now, maybe certain roles you can't play because of certain things going on in your life, but, but still, there's a lot of room in the game, and, and there's a lot of things God wants you, and you might be saying, like, God could never work in my life. God could never do anything big because I just keep messing up, and God's like, man, I can do huge things through you because it's not about the pot. It's about the presence. So, Father, I, I pray, God, that you would help us to get our focus in the right spot. And God, if these folks in this room or online or anything like me, God, it's so easy to spend so much time focusing on the inadequacies and, and the mess-ups and, and, you know, how there are better people out there. But, God, you want us to focus on the presence. And, God, we thank you that you are in us, that you are strong, that you are a miracle worker. And that you do miracles even through people who have messy lives. In Jesus' name.